Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Uh, it's a joy for me to be here. I've looked forward to uh, this time, and I've been praying for you. Uh, I want to say a special thanks to uh, Pastor Tyrone for uh, taking a chance on me. Um, whenever you uh, have a special guest, uh, you take some risks. So he took some risks on me. And uh, it's just, uh, again, a joy. I've driven by this church a number of times. I've lived out here in Arizona for the last seven years. So I've gone down Bell Road and had an opportunity to, to pray for you and uh, said, you know, one of these days I'm going to stop in at that church and check these people out. Well, today, today is that day. Uh, I'm originally from Minnesota. And um, it's uh, really pretty interesting. I had 26 people stay with me from January 1st till about May 1st. I call my place a bed no breakfast. And many of them are from Minnesota. And I don't understand why. But when it comes to June and July in Arizona, Nobody wants to come and visit me. And they all call me now. When it's uh, 20 below and it's snowing like crazy, I call them and say, how's it going? What's going on? Sun's shining, I'm sitting in my backyard. And now that it's been over 100, I've received a number of phone calls from Minnesota. I just want to remind you what it's like here in Minnesota. Like I said, I've been here seven years, and I actually like Arizona. I love Arizona. And um, how I got out here, I retired from the church that I had pastored 20, uh, 25 years in Bloomington, Minnesota. And a year after I'd retired, my wife turned to me and said, would you consider moving to Arizona because my son at that time with my only three grandchildren, lived in Arizona. And would you like to move out to Arizona and be with our grandchildren? And I said, I'm, I'm for that. And so we moved out. Now, you, you know how this story goes, because many of you pro probably experienced it. It's kind of a sad story. So we went out here, and we were with our, our, my son, his wife, and my three grandchildren. And a year later, my son got promoted, and he moved to California. And I don't understand this, but he took the three grandchildren with him. I just, uh, it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So when I go see my grandchildren, it's about six, six hours away, and it's always fun to see them. And then I have a son who lives in Houston, and I have a daughter who uh, lives in Las Vegas, and she's a school teacher there. 
There was a, an experience that I had as an 18, 19 year old. It possibly was a psychology class in college and I will never forget it. It was one of those, those moments you don't remember a lot in college, but this is one of those things that I remember. The professor was old, he was probably 40 years old. And he said, as I look at you, you're probably never gonna change. You're gonna be a lot like you are right now. You will never change. I personally took offense to that because I was like 18, 19 years old and I was as immature as they are and he just told me that there would not be a change. Uh, one of the things I'm gonna do, I'm gonna prove him wrong. There's gonna be growth and there's gonna be a change in my life. Shortly uh, before I retired, I was uh, having a dialogue with a member of my church. He's extremely bright. He's a wonderful person. And we were talking about some of the things that you experience in life. And one of the things that you experience in life is once in a while there are people who get old and they get kind of crotchety. They kind of complaining and, and uh, just they're not happy with anything. You know, just life is terrible and they don't like the music, they don't like the preaching, they don't like the kids. They, it's either too cold, it's too hot, it's all that. And while he was, while I was sharing this with them, I said, I may someday get old, which I've arrived at that, but I'm not going to be crotchety. And you know what he said to me? He said, you won't be able to avoid it. <laughs> well, I may be old, but I don't think I'm crotchety. And I thought about this for a moment. And I thought, you know what? He was wrong. He was wrong. You know why he was wrong? Because my dad lived till he was almost 86, and he was positive and filled with life and encouraging. He may have been older, but he wasn't crotchety. And then I thought of my father-in-law. My father-in-law lived till he was almost 90, and up to the last day I saw him alive, he was positive. He was saying, Jerry, how you doing? What's going on? Tell me about your life. What's happening? And so I said, you know what? That guy is wrong. I may be old, but I'm never going to become crotchety. Now you're talking about fruit. I can understand fruit. Why is that? Because I was born and raised on a farm in northern Minnesota. We had 2,000 acres, and I know what it's like. And my dad loved to farm. I hated farming. I couldn't wait to leave the farm. God answered my prayer and I left the farm. But when it, when it came spring, I could just sense something about my dad. But April, March, even the last part of March, there was a change in my dad. He was all excited because he knew that pretty soon he was gonna pull the tractors out of the shed. He knew what he was gonna plant. And then when it came to August, guess what? We started harvesting what we had planted in April and in May. Now, I believe that that principle of planting and harvesting is a biblical principle. In fact, as you read the scripture, you will find that he talks about 
about planting and harvesting. Now, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature has come. Old is gone, and there is new life. For a person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there is something miraculous that takes place. It is called something new life, and that life is within us every day. So part of what he is saying, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and as we see in the passage of Scripture that we will read today, and in both passages of Scripture, there is something supernatural that is happening within each of us. And part of what we need to do is we need to encourage that, that new life that he has given us. Now, some of you may not feel it. You're saying, I, 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 that's what it's all about. It's a, it's a faith experience. It has nothing to do with feeling. It has to do with faith. Now, this may change your approach to when you read the epistles. When you read the epistles, you will see that what, how does Paul address each one of the epistles? To the saints, to the saints in Philippi, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Galatians, to the saints. He talks to them as saints. How does God see us? God sees us. One of the things I love about communion, communion is a time to be reminded that God, how does he see us? But he sees us as perfect. No, 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 no. Jerry, that, that's not true. I'm not perfect. You know, how, you know how Jesus sees us again? He sees us as perfect. You know why that is? Because he sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We are now perfect. We are perfect in him. Now, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20, it says, by your fruit, you will know them. So one of the things that you need to do is you need to pay attention to what you are sowing, because what you will sow, you will also reap. So in the passage of scripture in Galatians chapter five, and starting, let me just start, in fact, I'm gonna read earlier in verse number seven. You are running a good race. So he uses a number of metaphors, doesn't he, in this, pa in this passage of scripture. You cut in uh, on you and kept you, who kept you from obeying the truth? You need to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you, but it comes from someone else. Now, in verse 13, this is what he has called us to. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, what I want you to do is to serve one another in love, the entire law is summed up in the, this commandment. What you are to do is to love one another. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So in verse number 16, so I say, what I want you to do is now live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the sinful desires, because the sinful desires, and he talks about them in verse, starting with verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord. When you follow that road, when you follow the flesh, 
This is the kind of crop you're going to receive. Then he says, and I like this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified that old nature, that sinful nature, with its passions and desires. And since we now live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's walk in step with Him. So we come to a crossroad. We're going to give in to that old nature, the old flesh, or are we going to walk according to the Spirit? Are we going to walk according to the truth? Now, it doesn't take very long, and you come to find out in your life and in my life whether we are living according to the Spirit or according to the flesh. How is that? All we need to do is get bumped. We need to get bruised. We, get, we need to get beat up once in a while. And the true, the true Spirit will come out. Anger, debauchery, self-pity, whatever that may be, if we're walking according to the flesh. I have my rights. You don't deserve to do this to me. But if we're walking according to the Spirit and we are bumped, we come to find out that there is love. There is joy. There is peace. There is patience. There is kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By your fruit, you will know them. So you might be old, but you don't have to be crotchety because when you follow the Spirit of God, it doesn't make any difference who you are. I've even met some young people who are difficult to live with. Why is that? Because they're living according to the, the flesh. The fruit of their life is demonstrated in how they live their lives. But he says, when you live according to the Spirit and you are pressed and pushed and beat up and bruised, which you will, out of it comes the very fruit of the Spirit. It's the very nature. The fruit of the Spirit is the very nature of God. What is God like? But God is love. What is God like? He is full of joy. What is God like? You come to find out he's patient, especially with you. He's really been very patient with you. He's put up with you a long time. He has every right to just get rid of you, but instead, he shows his patience. He shows his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his uh, gentleness, and even his self-control. <clears throat> now, the passage of Scripture that Tony read earlier is found in Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, we find the story uh, a parable that Jesus uh, shares. And he shares this, the parable, starting to read with verse number three. And Tony read part of that parable, but then in verse number 13, he is explaining the meaning of the parable to his disciples. And this is what he said to them. Don't you understand this parable? Don't you understand what I'm really trying to communicate with you? How then will you understand any parable? 
The farmer sows the word, and some people are like seed along uh, some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown, and as uh, it's soil along the path. As soon as they hear it, what happens is Satan comes, and he takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with incredible joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because the word, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among them, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and what it does is it produces an incredible crop of 30%, 60%, or 100% fold. Now, I think it's, it's very possible and I know it's not just possible, but Jesus was speaking to us. And each one of us represent these four people in this passage of scripture, the three kinds of soil and seed. First one is they hear the word of God, but what happened? Satan comes and takes it away. Who is Satan? Satan is known as the father of lies. He does not want you to believe the truth. He wants you to believe that you're a sinner. He wants you to give up. He wants you to quit. He wants to remind you of your past. Why is that? Because he is the father of lies. He wants you to give up. I remember hearing this, you're too young. Now I hear you're too old, nobody wants you. Nobody cares about you. You, it goes all throughout life. You've made too many mistakes. Why don't you just simply give up? And amazingly, we've all met people who give up. What happens? They hear the word, and Satan comes and throws them a lie. Now, the second is they receive the word with incredible joy. They are just so happy. But the, the, the word of God is not rooted in a short time, there is trouble or persecution, and what happens, they fall away. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought, when I became a Christian, life was going to be easy. It was really going to be easy. God loves me, and everybody's going to love me. But I came to find out that when you become a Christian, there are some people, and there may even be friends and family, who are just not too excited about, about what has happened in your life and the transformation that has taken place. And all of a sudden, there's ridicule, and they start saying things to you, and they begin to persecute you. And you find it's a lot easier just to get along than to allow the transformation to take place in your life. One of the things that you find in some of uh, uh, various religions, even though they come to know the truth, the peer pressure of the family 
meaning you're going to be thrown out of the family. You no longer will be my son or my daughter. They give in to the peer pressure, and they no longer let the word of God become a part of your life. Some of you have received all kinds of pressure, all kinds of persecution. There's a temptation for you to give up and to say, you know what? I'm going to quit. Now, the third one. Now, let me just go back to the second. One of the things that you find, and even we were singing about today, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, he talks about building this house. What do you do? You build your house on the sand, and the winds come, and the rains come, the floods come, and the house no longer stands. <clears throat> but when you build your house on the rock, what happens is the rain comes, the winds blow, the floods come, and the house is able to stand. Are you able to stand in the midst of the storms? I don't know what the future holds. I'm around a lot of naysayers, and they say it's really bad, and it's going to get terrible. It may get bad, and it may get terrible. But you know what? My foundation is not on what's happening politically or economically or what others say about me, but I'm going to stand upon the rock. I'm going to stand upon the firm foundation. I'm going to stand on Jesus Christ. No matter what comes my way, I'm going to be able to stand. Now, last week, I was in Minnesota. It was, uh, I stayed with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And while we were sitting in their backyard on Monday afternoon, I was looking at a tree. I remember that tree was planted. You know, I, I could tell what kind of tree it was because it doesn't take very long. You can say, well, that's an apple tree. That's a peach tree. By their fruit, you will know them. That's a banana tree. There's no banana trees in, in Minnesota. But this was an apple tree, and uh, it's a Har Harrelson apple. And I was looking at it, and I can remember when it was planted, it was about this big. It took a lot of time to grow. I, we were talking, I was, I was talking to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. They said that they didn't have many apples last year. You know why? Because the conditions weren't right. There were either uh, some pests, something that took all of, all of the apples. This year, this year, as I looked at that tree, I could see that it was withstanding the winds, the lack of rain that they're having right now in Minnesota, and there was a bumper crop of apples. I said, you're going to have apple juice, you're going to have applesauce, you're going to have apple pie. The, the branches were beginning to, to, to reach the ground. I said, you may have to trim some of those branches because of the weight of the apples. You know, what God wants to do, and with all of us, he wants each one of us to be fruitful, 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100-fold. Now, the third is the worries of life. Wealth, we're choked out by other things. Making money raising children, and all of a sudden, we forget our relationship with Jesus Christ. I pastored for 29 years in Bloomington, Minnesota. The church is uh, located about a half a mile from a place called the Mall of America. It's the largest mall in the United States. And I've had various numbers of people in my church and 
through hard work, and I think also through the favor of God, they've seen an abundance of wealth. And it's amazing. The vast majority of them have handled it very well. Because I would say to them, God has put his hand of favor on you when it comes to making money. Don't let it destroy you. Don't let it, don't let you t- let it take you from, from, your, from putting your eyes on Jesus. You are to be a good steward of the resources that, that God has given you. But sad to say, all of a sudden I've seen some people who've gotten caught up in the cares of this world, raising children, and raising children, which is really important, is more important than their relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I always determined to do is said, you know what, I love my job, and I was busy, and I had, you know, I was a part of great churches, but more than anything else, I wanted my children to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, I'll go do something else. I'll go work for UPS. I'll become a carpenter. I'll do whatever. But more than anything else, I want to make sure that my children are serving God. I, I, I just say, I give the glory to God. My children are serving God. My grandchildren are serving God. And I say that humbly because I know some people have done all the right things, all the right things. They brought their children to church and their children, they have some children who are not serving God. So when I put my finger at, point my finger at anyone, I'm just grateful to God. But don't let the cares of this world get you. And then finally, what happened? They heard the word of God. You know what? We have a lot of people who hear the word of God. When I was through preaching, most of the time I said, we're not only hearers of the word, but we are what? Doers. We don't just hear the word of God, but we do it. We live it out. So what happened? They heard the word of God, and then they accepted the word of God, and the word of God, because they put it into action, it produced a crop. I truly believe, and I think this came from the Boy Scouts, but I heard it one time. It said, leave it better than you found it. I determined wherever I went, I was going to make sure I left it better than I found it. I did this. When I first started out, I had a parsonage. The parsonage didn't belong to me. It belonged to the church. I had a responsibility to make sure when I moved into that parsonage and I left it, that it was going to be a better parsonage than when I was there, even though I didn't own it. Going to make sure I mowed the lawn. I even, I even uh, painted it. I cut down some shrubs. I put in new shrubs. I, why? Because I'm going to leave it better than, my, than I found it. I felt that way about the neighborhood in which I'm in, where I live now. I've always said, what can I do to raise the spiritual level of the neighborhood in which I live? God has placed me there to be what? Salt and light. He's placed me there for a reason. I have a relationship with a number of, in fact, I know all of my neighbors. It's amazing to me. We live in a world where some of my neighbors, I don't see them for like the summer, I don't see them. They drive into the garage, the garage goes down, don't see them, it's hot. That's like in Minnesota, when, when the snow comes, drive into your garage, close the garage door. But when it gets nice, I know my neighbors. Guess what I do for my neighbors on a regular basis? I pray for them. I bless them. I pray, God, would you bless them? And I name them by name. I know them by name. I have been placed there for a reason. Some of them don't know you. 
Some have a form of godliness. We've had an opportunity to talk about the gospel. But I pray that they will come to faith. They will come to understand the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and what he wants to do within their, within their lives. It's so exciting to be a part of what God's doing and God is doing and wanting to do in your life and in mine. Now, how do we respond to this? What do we do? First of all, you need to acknowledge that more than anything else, you are a new creation. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that's, again, why we go to the Word of God. And we go to, to uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, and this is what it said. What I want you to do to understand who you are, first of all, consider Abraham. Abraham is considered a person of great faith, isn't he? He was told that he was going to be a father of a great nation. And he began to take things into his own hands. But God told him, he said, I want you to know who you are. You're a saint. You're going to be a father of a great nation. And this is what he told him. Because he needed to be reminded, and we all need to be reminded. When you look at the stars, you see all the stars, you're going to have as many children as the stars. When you look down and you look at the sand, you need to be reminded that you're going to have as many children as the sand of the sea. Do you, do, you, do you understand that? So whether you're looking up or you're looking down, you need to be reminded that God, that God has chosen you and he's called you and he's made you a new creation. So in Galatians 3, it says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited for him. What you need to do, you may not feel it, but you need to realize that you are a new creation in Christ. To him, he credited to him for, as righteousness. Understood that th those who believe are children of Abraham. Those who believe are children of God. Now this sounds pretty simple, and it's pretty simple, but it's hard to do. Do you know who you are in Christ and that God wants to do something dynamic in and through every one of you? One day I was having my hair cut and Barb was saying to me, you know, I wish I could be like you and have an impact and I wish I could stand up and preach to people and, you know, and like this. I go, Barb, you're crazy. I began to rebuke her in the, in the barber chair. Do you understand? Do you understand? You have new people coming in here every day. And what you do is you put your hands on their head. You put your hands on your, their head. When you touch their head, you don't have to say it out loud, but you can just simply pray for them. I don't know about you, but you sit down in the barber chair or the beauty chair. It's amazing. People just begin to relax and they start talking. I said, Barb, you have the greatest counseling center you can present in your own way. And all of us, we denigrate what we're doing, but God has placed us someplace and we can make it, we can see the spiritual level of our community rise because we are there. Now, what do we need to do? I'm gonna be very practical, very practical. First of all, you need to repent. Repentance. That means you're going to turn around. You're going to go in another direction. You're going to repent. And you know what you're going to repent of? You're going to repent of your sins. 
And some of you have repented of your sins, but you need to repent because you're still living in the flesh. I still live in that old way. I am not a saint. I am a sinner, but I am a saint. I am set free by Jesus Christ. I'm repented of those old ways. I am a new, believe it or not, I am a new, a new creation. Then secondly, what you need to do, first of all, repent. Secondly, you need to pay attention to your own spiritual walk. What does the scripture talks about? There is a wide way and everybody goes there. You know why? Because it's easy. But there's a narrow way and there's very few that go there. In raising fruit, uh, I don't know about you, in my yard, if I just let it go, there's a time in the spring when we have rain and all of a sudden there are weeds. Even in Arizona, there are weeds growing all over the place. If I let it go, I have weeds in my yard. You know, some of you have weeds that are growing in your life, and it's time for you to say, no longer. I'm going to plant something, I'm going to plant something new. I'm going to plant life. So what you need to do is to pay attention to your spiritual life and then take responsibility. Take responsibility. Don't let anyone else decide your walk of faith. What you need to do is to say, this is the way I'm going to live, and I'm going to live true to the word of God. Now, Jesus set the example for us. When Satan comes and he gives you a lie, just like with Jesus, what did he do? But he quoted scripture. Well, you need to, you need to know what the word of God says. You need to understand what the word of God says. So when you're tempted, then what you do, you say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He knew me long before I was born, which means I'm not a mistake. There is nobody in here who is a mistake. And every time Satan brings it to you, you bring the word of God. Guess what happens? Just like with Jesus, Satan leaves. He can't stand the word of God. You bring the word of God. I've had people share this with me and one of the things that I, I've done and I do, I just encourage you to do this. Just pick up the, the Word of God, the book of Ephesians. Now, I'm not a, a down person, but there are moments when I'm down. And I'm just a, maybe a lost my focus a little bit. You know what I do? I pick up the book of Ephesians and I start reading out loud. By the time I get to the middle of the second chapter, the whole atmosphere in my room, in my life, has changed. I'm just speaking it out loud. Here is what the Word of God says. This is who I am in Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It comes through the power of the Word of God, the Word of God. Now, there's something else, and this is difficult for some of you, and that is you need to get into a group. Uh, person from my high school just sent me, this happened yesterday, sent me a TED talk. And we had been talking a little bit about age and how you live long. And there's TED talk. It's secular. It says, you know, they did this, this uh, research at BYU. And they said, eating the right food may elongate you, uh, exercise a little bit. You know what the number one, number one thing to, long, to lengthen your life, it has to do with relationships with people. 
If you go into the hospital, you can call somebody and say, would you come and visit me? To have a relationship with, and I go, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? It's taken right from the word of God. He says that we are part of the body of Jesus Christ. We are to be connected to one another. Now, for some of you, that's a little bit of a difficulty. Guess what I did when I moved out here with my wife? We, we, got, we uh, were a part of a church, and you know what we did? We, got, we, we were a part of a group. Part of a group. Now, you don't need a yes-me group. You need a group that's not afraid to speak into your life. Say, I notice, I notice you're a little sidetracked here. You're a little sideways. I did this even when I was a pastor. And I, I remember uh, three pastors that I met with. And I remember one, there was one day, and I was so appreciative that they did this. They said, you know, uh, Jerry, you've kind of lost your perspective a little bit. You used to talk about goals and visions and what God's doing in your life. I've been watching you over the last six, six months. You've been saying nothing. What's going on? I was so grateful that they said that. I didn't even realize that that was going on in my life. And at that time, I, there were was, there was some changes that needed to take place in my life and some steps of faith that I needed to do. Now, I'm going to stop preaching and I'm going to start meddling. How's that? Okay? Some of you are going to hate me, but that's okay. One of the things some of you are going to need to do is you need to turn your TV off. You need to turn your TV off. You know why? Because there are times when I watch TV and I get discouraged and I get depressed and I think the end of the world is here. Now, it may be, but my hope and my trust is in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to meddle some more. Some of you need to change your friends. you got friends who are Debbie Downers. My mother, who passed away when she was almost 96, I went to visit her in Fargo. She had a friend from the church who was one of the most negative people I'd ever met. We went out to an Arby's to eat. We ate. My mother... 90, at that time, she was like 90 years old. She's trying new stuff and doing things. And this woman she had with her, I happen to know her, she was Miss Debbie Downer. We went back to the apartment or the townhouse where my mother lived. I said, Mom, why do you spend time with her? I, 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 I was just, just flat. She was old and crotchety. She was old and she was crotchety. Example right there. Mom, you need to get some new friends. You need to, I wouldn't spend another day. I was so happy she got out of our car. I wanted to go into to my mom's house and take a bath, take a shower. You need to change some of your friends. Why is that? Because when you get away from your friends, you're all discouraged and you're down. You need to turn off your TV. You need to begin to sing music and read the word of God and bring in friends who bring life and aren't afraid to speak into your life and say, you know what, you're kind of stuck. You need to move on. It's time for you to grow up. We're still feeding you. You should be feeding. Could you imagine if your kids are still living in the basement of your house? You say, and they're 40 years old? There's something wrong. You know what? We have people like that spiritually. They're still living in the basement of the house. And they're saying, when are you going to feed me? When are you going to take care of me? The scripture said, we should be giving you meat. Instead, we got to give you milk because you haven't grown up. It's time to grow up. I know some of you don't like that, but it's true. It happened two years ago. Fourth of July, my wife and I just had a wonderful time. And we were laughing. We are talking about the goodness of God, how God had blessed us. You may not know this, but I'm God's favorite. God, God just is, he is just so kind to me. Married my wife, and we were just laughing. 
And on the seventh, she went to see the dentist. And when she went to the dentist, we joked as she walked out the door. The dentist is two minutes away from my house. She left at nine o'clock at 9.15. I got a call from the dentist and they said, we've just called the paramedics on your wife. So it didn't take me long to get there. I got there before the paramedics and they took her to Mayo and she had something called a brain bleed. She was walking five, six miles a day. She was as healthy as everybody in this room. I'd been married to her 52 years. We would be married now 54. And um, she died on the 13th of July. She just up and left me. People ask me, how are you doing? Uh, you know, pretty good. I tell you the truth, you know what I'd like to do is I'd like to have a pity party. But nobody wants to come and nobody brings gifts. I just don't understand that. Why they don't, they don't want to come to my pity party. And so after my wife had died, I talked to a buddy of mine from Florida and his wife had died of the same thing. And he said, you know, Jerry, you need to go, you need to go to grief share. And he's a big guy like me and we're men and we don't need that kind of stuff. And then he said, Jerry, not only should you go once, but you should go twice because you're a slow learner. <laughs> so you know what I did? I did. I went twice. There were two gals from my church who were in that grief share, and we came to discover in the church that I go to, we don't have grief share. And they said, would you be interested in starting it? No, I'm not interested in doing anything like that. But I just sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me. So I've gone through it twice. Now I'm going through it four times as a facilitator. Uh, you, not just anybody can join this group. And we just came to find out that there are a lot of people out there hurting. They've lost children. They've lost mates. They've lost next door neighbors. And it's a 13 week course and it's called Grief Share. I liked, uh, I think of, I stole this from Robert Schuler. He says, bloom where you're planted. And the two gals that I work with, we kind of laugh about it. We said, three years ago, we never, he said, you know what you're gonna be doing? You're gonna be doing something called grief share. I said, are you crazy? That's the last thing I wanna be doing. But today I'm doing grief share, a facilitator, bringing life and hope. And it's so amazing. First class, you can come in at any time. First class, people are crying and they're wounded and hurting. I remember what it was like. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to hear what anybody had to say, but I was going to the class because my buddy said I needed to go. And I found that it's been a source of healing. And God is speaking to you and you've been sitting on the bench and you have something to offer, whether it's working with children, working with the elderly, reaching out, starting a small group, but you can bring new life right where you go. My sons all have very responsible jobs and they've talked about when they go to meetings, they'll see a lot of people older, smarter, brighter than they. I said, no, you're looking at the wrong thing. You may look at that guy and he may be a millionaire and he might have a PhD, but you know what? He's just as insecure as you are. Do you know who you are in Christ? Stop thinking about yourself when you walk into the room 
Why? You have the security knowing that everybody's thinking about themselves. But you, you walk in. You can meet people. There's a guy standing against the wall. He's there all by himself. He's more insecure than anybody else. Go over and talk to him. You reach out to him. Why is that? Because we bring the very presence of Jesus Christ wherever we go, in our neighborhood, wherever we are. I want you to stand with me. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.